So in business, if you don't have a plan, then you're not serious. So that probably makes myself and Lawrence some of the least serious business people in the world. In this episode of the podcast, you'll get a bit of an origin story of the Happy Startup School and how chance, uncertainty and serendipity played major parts in the growth of our business. Rather than solid foundations like clear revenue models and well-defined products or services, our businesses were mainly based on mutual needs and strong hunches. Whether it was our digital agency Spook Studio or the Happy Startup School, the strong threads that ran through each of them were our needs for autonomy, mastery, connection and impact. They were the constants. Everything else was emergent and uncertain. When making decisions, it wasn't just about what made sense, it was also about what felt right. It took me a while to get comfortable with this way of doing things, but it was essential in the early days of the Happy Startup School, when we were looking for a way of working that fit us, not just the market. Benefiting from serendipity requires you to have an optimistic and hopeful mindset. It's also necessary to be present with where you are and what's around you. Otherwise, you'll miss the wealth of opportunities right before your eyes. I hope you enjoy this episode and get inspired to bring more serendipity into your work life and life life. Enjoy. We are part of another community called Like-Hearted Leaders, and I'm not sure if Claire is here or any of the LHL crew are with us here. And one of the things that Claire is trying to create along with Aki and Remini and Tanya and other people in that community, they're looking to uh, write a book, uh, a handbook, uh, a like-hearted leader's handbook. And we've been invited as members to write a chapter on it. And I was inspired by the conversation we had with Rob Fitzpatrick uh, a couple of weeks ago around this idea of writing useful books, but also working out loud. That's what I got from it, working out loud and just sharing ideas early to then refine them and work off other people's feedback. Again, that Mm -hmm. emergent creative process. And so this is, in a sense, nodding to that. It's like, why don't we talk about what we'd like to write first? And then get a feel for what people's questions are, what people's curiosities are around this, so that we can then provide some kind of uh, constraints or inform our intentions based on what other people are interested in. And then also tell the story of our journey and seeing how we can make sense. And I think this talks a bit to Anya's question around, is it in the moment or is it something that you look look at in retrospect? Maybe add some sense to this random path maybe you can say that we've been on but to begin with i'm wondering should we start off by just talking about what does what do we mean by serendipity and what are we talking about when you say serendipity and business because i think a lot of people i believe think you know you need to plan you need to have a plan if you're going to have a business when we were thinking of writing this chapter i think we just had a conversation around what's our message? What message do we want to share with people who don't know us and don't know anything about our approach to business or our story? And I think that for me was this came out of that conversation was there's another route to business other than the one that we're taught at business school. If you've ever been to business school or if you go to anyone who works in a kind of, I don't know, a traditional business setting, they will say you need to write a business plan and you need to do things this way. And so in some ways, our message is almost an antidote to that. And this has come out from our journey of there is another way. It's not necessarily the right way, but there is another way, which is based on our uh, journey and our philosophy, which, and again, our different characters to you being more from a scientific background, me being more creative in some, some way, 
in terms of this almost like the art and science of business came out of the conversation and, and actually what we found is a middle ground, which is a much more emergent path. And every time we tried to plan, it's felt like it's never worked. And so that's how this whole idea came about. Yeah. I actually wanted to pick up on what Claire just said, because she said she's run her whole business like this. And I'm assuming like in this kind of more serendipitous path and not having a plan and not actually running a real business. And I think this <laughs> is one of the, the core things is like, if you don't have a plan, you're not serious. And that's that can be quite a judgment on people when they think, I don't, I don't know what I want to build or what's the best next step or what's the right answer. Well, you also but, feel like you're doing it wrong because you don't, when someone asks you for a plan, you feel like you're an imposter. <laughs> I have, I always do because it yeah. feels like I can't give you the answers that you're ans asking for. And I feel a bit shit about it because, yeah, I feel like I should know those answers. And uh, uh, I, I love that what you just said about having the answers and I, I believe that's core to the work that we're doing at the moment in terms of people sometimes looking for a lot of people looking for that seven point plan to success and what what is the answers tell me what to do as opposed to actually we can't necessarily tell you the answers but you can there are tools that you can use to help you find the answers yourself to be honest this started if i think back to when we started working together years ago before the happy startup school i wouldn't say we ever wrote a plan for Spook Studio before we'd even thought of the Happy Startup School. Because again, we didn't know what we wanted to create. We didn't necessarily know whether we'd work well together. We didn't know who our clients were going to be or what value we could create for them. But we did know certain things. And I think that's maybe where we could start is like, what are we certain about? What confidence do we have and where does that come from? So in some ways, I'm thinking about what's the constant throughout everything when everything else might seem uncertain, there is a sort of foundation there. And, and I would say <laughs> our friendship is a foundation that has stayed true to the whole journey, whatever project or business we've run. I would say the way we do things has not changed, really. You know, maybe evolved, but I wouldn't say fundamentally our values have changed or the way we do business, the way we treat people, the way we think about business. Again, our thinking's maybe deepened, but it, I wouldn't say it's radically shifted. And so I have always felt there's a confidence there, inner confidence from we work it out, whatever it is, whether it's an agency, whether it's Happy Startup School, whatever that becomes, we will work it out. And so we've got this foundation that's given me certainly the confidence to take some risks on the basis that we can't plan the future. And also, other than what's in front of us, we don't know what the world's going to do. For me, there's this idea, maybe even just like you're saying, rewinding even before the Happy Startup School, this origin story aspect to it, because I'm thinking of you know our conversations with tom nixon and work with source and he tied we worked with him and he to a certain level deconstructed our relationship in business and, and how it started so what springs to mind is like when you started purely when you started because you started as a freelancer as a designer who didn't you never were taught design but mm. you start your own i'm remembering visual aid and how that started your your first business visual aid new media <laughs> to give it its full description maybe just tell a little bit about how you kicked that off and what is it that drove you to start doing visual aid oh i mean i was working with agencies like, like a lot of people in the community i was a gun for hire so i was working um as a freelancer with different agencies in london going in generally to work in their office and create websites and things like that but i think i got to a point where naturally you you get your own clients and so you end up what's a website go and chat to them so i started to enjoy having a bit more freedom and autonomy about who I worked with and, and how I work with them. So on the side of my freelance 
career, I guess, I was starting to build my own client base. And over time, that took over to the point of, uh, it's a thing. I've got a business card. I've got a name. Pretty shit one, but I had a name. And it felt like it was not just about me, even though it was just about me. There was a brand I was developing. And then eventually, you know, we got to work together as part of that. So in some ways, I'd had a freelance career for five years. So there was a lot of uncertainty there in terms of, and I think the key thing here is for a lot of people who are starting their own business, in some ways, not having a salary every month is the biggest feeling of uncertainty you'll ever have if you're used to it, particularly if you've had it for a long time. I didn't have that. I think I had one job for maybe a year and that was my only experience of having a guaranteed salary every month. So for most of my working life, I've had that you know, feeling of if I don't work, I don't get paid. Uh, and even if I work, I might not get paid. And so there's always been that that feeling of uncertainty in everything I've done since I've started work. So <clears throat> in some ways, ha- having a freelance career, I think it's a good apprenticeship for running your own business because you have to navigate that uncertainty of peaks and troughs of having clients, money coming in and going out at different intervals. And, and actually, what gets you through that? How do you sit with that feeling? How do you navigate that? And in some ways, learn to like it and learn to enjoy it rather than try and fight it because in my experience when you try and fight it then it doesn't become enjoyable anymore because you're looking for guarantees of yeah how much money am I going to earn or where's my money going to come from and who am I going to work with and all these things that sometimes are out of our control there's an interesting thing is like there is that reality of all right you're living with uncertainty particularly around money but I'm this is me my reading in terms of the way I looked at your the way you worked at that time there was this real need for freedom and and kind of autonomy and and for whatever reason what came to mind was when you and Tamsin went for a you did a trip around Europe in the camper van and but being able to work while you were doing that there's this real sense of yeah I can go and have these adventures yeah and I can still make money yeah and there's that real element that actually while there's uncertainty there was freedom to to travel and and have adventure at the time that was there was freedom for me but my wife had a job and so. If you're a freelance and you've got all the freedom in the world or you're an entrepreneur, ultimately, if you have a family or you have a partner and they don't have that freedom, you're still stuck by their week or if you've got kids, by their school year or whatever. The risk we took with that was I got her to the point where I was like, why don't you just say you're going to leave, that you're willing to leave your job, which she ended up doing, saying, look, I don't expect you to give me three months off. I'm happy to leave. Well, not happy to leave. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll be willing to leave. And after a couple of conversations, lo and behold, they said, look, take a sabbatical. We'll keep your job open and you can pick it up and you come back. And everyone else in the office is like, how did you get away with that? How did you get away with that? I'm on a sabbatical. But again, she was willing to take that risk of, I'm, I'm willing to leave my job to, to go on this adventure, which was a leap of faith for her. So I think with all of this stuff, we're all navigating the, the home life as well as our own goals and what we want to do. But I like what you said there about, says, I'm, I'm willing to leave my job to go on this adventure because... I'm going to connect it to the way I hooked up with you in, in terms of, I know we most people know we've been friends since school, but uh, on, on a very parallel sort of way, I left my job to more or less work with Lawrence because at the time I'd got to this point in that agency that I was working with that I couldn't see how, where it was going to lead me. I, re- I wasn't enjoying myself. I didn't see the staying there as something that was going to nourish me or, or just make me I didn't have a direction. I didn't know where I was going with that. And so I I was had been working on the side with Lawrence and I said, why don't I just, I, I can work with him and and I don't have to have this job 
And there was this level of like, I'll just leave that for this bit of an adventure here. Yeah. See where that goes. I had no yeah. idea I was going to freelance. I knew I could, I had skills and I could more or less get paid, but it wasn't like, yeah, I got this plan to become a, a pr- freelance programmer and I'm going to get to this. And it was like, it, it felt free. Uh, there was a, there's a companionship there. I knew Lawrence was there and we had potential to work together. I, I'll just do that and see where that takes us. And for a couple of years, we were loosely connected as two mm. freelancers, just partnering on projects together. And like you said, again, there's no certainty in salary. And there was, there was a real, yeah, th- there was that anxiety of, okay, I need to pay the bills. I need to pay the mortgage. You know, th- how I'm going to do that. But the need for that freedom, the, the comfort of having someone else on that journey and to be able to work together and to do some fun stuff together as well. You know, we did some great yeah. work together. That trumped even that thing of, oh, you should have a proper job. If yeah. um, this is this feels right at the moment, and so that for me, that kind of like, uh, in a sense, you you were really, I think, I believe you were really clear about what you needed from the way you worked, hmm. and I latched onto that in a sense, not in the sense of like, oh, you, Lawrence has got the answers, like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll join that because yeah, there was also a similar need for myself. There's a shared vision, and I think like a lot of people who work in the creative industries, there was a similar shared experience of working on projects and, and maybe for clients that didn't fill our, fill our boots from a fulfillment point of view. And often you're just a cog in the wheel with, with big projects. And so I think we had that shared vision of small boutique and intimate as a way to work with people. Talking about that, these kind of needs, one of the thing, words that spring out to mind is like mastery. When you talked about small boutique, mm. I can remember we were thinking about how can we like, you know, really love the work, do work that we really enjoyed. We were learning in the process and we weren't between, in, had layers of project managers in between us and the client. I could really connect with these people uh, and bring our creativity and our, and our opinions to the table mm-hmm. rather than just being told, build this, make this happen. You've got this many days, sort it out, which yeah. didn't provide any meaning for us in terms of a way of working or a way of living in a sense. There's a couple of pivotal moments. I think when the stakes get higher, I think when you start hiring people and when you get a premises, and for us, those were like starting points of this is getting more professional now. We're we're leveling up. I moved to Brighton. That was a big commitment, not just for the business, but also just as a life move. And yeah, getting our first premises, making our first hire, starting to think bigger in terms of how we wanted to do the work we do. Felt like, okay, even though we're happy with uncertainty, We've now got other people's bills to pay. We've now got other people who we're responsible for in terms of their welfare and their, you know, careers. And so that was another step where leaving room for uh, serendipity, but also getting more confident and, okay, there's a, a type of business we're trying to build here. It's a web agency. There are other agencies who've existed before. We can look at that as a model that we can grow towards. But then over time, it felt, do we want to keep growing to be like those kinds of businesses? Do we want to follow that trajectory, which is, if you want to build an agency, here's a plan to build an agency. You grow your team, you grow your headcount, you get bigger projects, you get a bigger office, you maybe travel, speak, do these things, and you bring in bigger paying clients, and then you, what, exit, or you potentially just keep growing or, or stabilize. Thinking about that time, on one hand, I, I, that felt really reassuring in terms of like, there's a real clear set of steps that you follow. Like you said, you build the team, you maybe start there's a at that time there's real i think fad around having 
small team and then replicating that model in different offices. So you had this mm. feeling of tight, close team that was creative, but then you could scale by building more kind of hubs like that. And then you had, you could then be able to work or produce work under your brand with lots of different clients. And you could then essentially have people work for you. And on one hand, I thought, yeah, that, that, that's clear. That's the way you're going that way. But I believe deep down, I wasn't really interested and in, uh, because it meant essentially doing a lot of managing and not doing the work. And at some level, at some point, I think also for you, you got disillusioned by it. Just that agency approach to doing work. Is that a way of putting it? You I mean, disillusioned, yeah. I think it's a slow, steady demise in some ways. I think probably from having done freelance work for five years before we started the agency and then close to 10 years running the agency. I think it's a couple of things. One, one was just as you get older, as you get more experienced, as you, like you said, master your craft, if that's not always um, well received by clients or they just don't value it as much as you would like them to, then there's just that feeling of, okay, I'm not just a, a minion here to take orders. I've got some experience and some ideas and some thoughts on a direction for a project or what might be useful. And so I think the model we had was there was a collaboration there to some extent, but ultimately the client paid the bills, the client made the final decisions. And so we just had to suck that out. And so over time, it's like death by a thousand cuts for me, it started to just chip away at that passion for what we did because I felt like our ideas weren't always getting seen through. And in many cases, people would say six months later, oh, I wish I'd listened to you at the beginning because, and it wasn't just like uh, an ego thing. It was, if we don't go down this route, this could cause us all a lot of pain and you a lot of money if we get it wrong. And because a lot of these were startups and early stage entrepreneurs, and there was a real cost to making a wrong decision. And I'm not saying we were always, but our experience was worth something. I think also part of that for, if I was going to talk to that whole feeling of, let's say disillusionment, I believe there's a real need for creativity and input from your point, you know, to, to add something from your own ideas and creativity. And we got to a stage of, we were called a startup studio and we would take people from idea to, to action and the product by providing our services of design and technology. And that beginning bit was great. You could add your ideas and you could inform on how best to make this, even this app or this platform look and, and work well. But then we would get to a stage, maybe six months down the line towards a year. And I remember there's a number of projects. I would just go to you and say, Lawrence, we need a new screen. Lawrence, we need a new button. Lawrence, we need to do this, but you can't do that and you can't do this. And this is going to be hard. And I felt that started to, you know, drain you in terms of mm. wasn't really using you to the best ability of your ability. Yeah. And again, it's probably, from a business point of view, not the best use of my time either. You know, an expensive use of my time. Someone else could do the more manual tasks. And we did have people who could help with that, junior designs and things. But I think more importantly, as the vision for the Happy Startup School came about, there was a there was an opportunity cost to some of those asks, some of those requests. And so I think that's where my interest started to wane more was Every hour I spent on the agency was an hour I wasn't spending on Happy Startup School, which to me felt like, and again, linked to the whole serendipity thing, there was an excitement there, there was a curiosity there, and there was a feeling of this is where I want to spend my time. This is, feel, this feels right. And this doesn't, this, you, know, you buy a new pair of jeans and then you go home and try your old pair of jeans on and they just don't, they just don't look as good or they don't feel as good. It, it's that kind of feeling of, yeah, I can wear these, but 
it doesn't feel like it did yesterday because I've got some mm-hmm. ones that I want to try. And this is for me, like this is where I, I think the seed of the happy startup school started to grow in terms of you weren't that whole agency approach and also the way we were working with more, so the project started getting a bit more complicated and more technology driven. You'd also started looking more into positive psychology and you're reading books around innovation and we're trying to work a lot in that space. You started following that curiosity and and writing and reading and really immersing yourself in that. And it felt like that felt much more fun and interesting than, all right, let's see how we can redesign an interface to make it more usable for someone. Well, there's a curiosity there and I felt like I was learning a lot. Uh, But I think more than anything... I talk to a lot of people who do design work and a lot of them go on this journey of you're designing a thing. So you're designing a website or a brochure or whatever, an interface. But ultimately, the more you work in that field, the more it's about people. You're trying to create a connection with people. And so as a designer, even forgetting the happy startup school, I would always want to know that the thing I'm creating is of value to them and to know that that's going to influence or impact or help them in some way, some small way, but make their life easier or, mm-hmm. or more, more um, effortless. And because a lot of the time we were detached from the end user, the person who was going to use the product, I felt like that was what was missing. And so my curiosity about people, what makes people tick at work, how people interact with technology, all of these things led me on that path, I think, to understand, actually, I need to understand people better if I'm going to understand the work we do. Even if we just stayed as an agency, that would have been the focus, I think, is... Ultimately, we're creating things for people and forgetting that technology is just a tool to be able to connect. And at that point, I felt there was this path and a potential plan for growing and scaling an agency. Like you said, we started having, we had the team, we had our own junior designers, developers, stepping into a role of more management. And then the Happy Startup School started to to become a bit more tangible. You were working more on like, writing and and getting the message out the happy festo came about and we started getting real traction and interest and there was this point i felt that we had two potential directions there was one direction which was a well a clear plan of agency growth you take this model uh you you grow the team you focus on culture you focus on innovation and, and getting people interested in technology and design and then there was this other path that felt fun felt interesting really curious but no idea of what business model there was. <laughs> and there was this real, and I'm talking to Anya, retrospectively, I thought there's a real clear point when we said, all right, we either do this separately or we have both of these things going on at the same time, which actually meant us doing working on two separate businesses. Mm-hmm. Or one of these things has to close and we have to go and double down on one. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that how you remember it? Yeah. I remember us trying to like create a vision for the agency. And I remember us saying it's a learning organization. And in some ways, thinking about it, we were trying to shoehorn the idea of a happy startup school into an agency. And I think for a while it was very muddied. And some of the team did probably, they'd made out like they they liked the idea of it, but probably didn't get it at all because it didn't work. And like you said, it felt like we either needed to find a new vision for the agency and there was a plan and there was a you know strategy around it or we focus on a new vision for the Happy Startup School. And that was where my energy was at. And so the one thing we couldn't do with with the agency, we could write a plan and we could have a business plan. But to be honest, that would have just sucked the life out of me, I think. 
I would have been happy to be part of it or see it happen, but I didn't want to be the person leading it. It felt like it needed a different personal energy behind that um, or different skill set. Uh, I felt with a happy startup school, there was no way we could write a plan, but there was a faith there, there was a confidence and, and this will work. And I didn't have a vision for the agency, to be honest. I knew I could do it, but it wasn't something that excited me. I could see, oh, well, we could have this idea of a full service agency and whatever it is, or like a technical boutique startup studio. Thing. We even talked to, I remember we were talking about maybe you could run the agency and I, yeah. you know, do the happy startup school. Exactly. And in the end, I deep down, I knew I couldn't do it. I, I didn't want to run something on my own or that I didn't have the energy to run that business on my own. And as crazy as it might have sounded to a lot of people at the time, because it was making money and it was supporting essentially the work on the Happy Startup School. It was giving us a living and, and paying wages. We said no. And we were mid-project. We had a big project we were running at the time. Mm. And we actually decided, no, we're going to stop it. We even talked to our client and we said, all right, this is where we're at. We don't have the energy to run this business anymore. We can't work on your project anymore, which to them, I can assume, was quite hard to hear. But they were also quite accepting of mm. the fact that we weren't going to do it. And we closed it. It stopped. Two of our staff ended up working with the startup we were working with. And we then went full 100% following the Happy Startup School path, which, and you've always said this, you knew we would make it work. You just, you had a feeling that whatever happened, you weren't sure, you didn't have a plan, but you knew that it was going to work somewhere or the other. And I, I, that felt exciting. I could see the energy behind it and the, the potential. It felt like there's a potential there, but it scared the crap out. Yeah. You know, it's like, I have no idea what my role is in this new business because I, I had an identity as a programmer, a developer, a technical architect, someone who built software. In this other world, it's like, I'm not sure how I fit. And so I just wanted to speak to that path of like, for me personally, there was this journey of like stepping into like, what do I do now? How do I input into this thing? What's my role? And this real need to hold on to something because I was holding on to a previous identity of mm. how I deliver value. And that for me, is that's when it starts to get interesting, this whole like serendipity path and where we started through following a, a, a certain level, really following you because you had a gut feeling for what you mm. wanted to create. And then through meeting people along the way, personally, mm. I got much more clarity as to why I'm here and what I'm doing and why I'm working in this direction. Yeah, one thing I would just say on that is there was a gut feeling, but it was backed up by, and again, what is gut feeling ultimately? Is gut feeling just like you sitting on your own in a cave thinking about the world or based on data that you can't put your finger on? And for me, the feeling was based on a feeling we were getting back and I was getting back from people that we were coming into contact with. And in particular, Altitude, the first Altitude we did, the reason we closed the agency that month was because we went to Altitude. I shared it on the top of a mountain, the idea of this predicament we were in. And the overwhelming feeling from the group was, you've already made the decision. You just need to go do it. It was such a powerful reflection from the group that, yeah, they knew, we knew that this was our future. And that for me gave me the confidence of if we can get that, feeling from 20 people then there's got to be others out there who also think that this is what we should be doing rather than and we had a few comments from people like no the world doesn't need another agency you know you're a good one but 
they definitely need this more than that. And so it was a gut feeling, but it was based on a confidence from others that we were getting that mirrored back to us. And I think that's when we really shifted into experimental mode. And we were trying lots of different things, uh, altitude being one of them, because it was initially an experiment and we did other little retreats and, and workshops and courses and so many different things and meeting so many different people. And is that, I think, for me, part of the message here is when you're in that space of not knowing, trying lots of things based on like, this feels right rather than this is going to make money is the strategy, isn't it? Well, that's what mm. it felt like where we're at. It's like, it wasn't, okay, let's crunch the numbers. Are we going to make enough money on this? What does the market say? It was like, to a certain level, like, we believe this is important. We're going to put this price on it. I'm going to try to have to make it work. We just have to make it work. You also say, with hindsight, we said yes to a lot of things, probably too many things, because we didn't know what the right thing was, which ended up with us probably on on the point of burnout a couple of years ago, or three or four years ago, where we can't do this forever. We can't say yes to all these things. We need to kind of learn from all the things we've learned, all the people we've met, all the experiences we've had, and what does that mean for what comes next? So in some ways, I think at the beginning, you can't know what to do because you don't know what works. But at some point, you want to learn from that. Otherwise, you end up just spinning out and every shiny new object is an appealing thing and you ne never commit to anything. I think another element of this, you're saying you're not knowing what to commit to because you don't know what works. Personally, it was like, I wasn't sure what to commit to because I wasn't sure what I wanted. I wasn't sure what was really interesting to me. And up until starting a happy startup school, it was very much of like, this, you know, this sounds like I could do, you know, make money through that. I could apply my skills there. I have this, these abilities. Maybe I can make money through that. But it was, the, I could never knew, all right, that's what I want to do. That's, that makes sense. I can see why that's of value. And I can also see why that feeds me. And just this whole journey for me of the happy startup school has been a process of like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. well, that's weird. Oh, that's interesting. And I meet this person, they tell me this thing. I meet another person, they say, and say, oh shit, this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. This feels interesting. This is like what I could commit to for the rest of my life, whether I got paid loads of money or not, mm. ideally make a living on it. But at the same time, it's like, this is work that I can wholeheartedly commit to, say yes to, and anything else, I, I, I confidently say no. I was going to say, with hindsight, maybe I could have sat you down because I remember you having this conversation like I don't really know what my role is here and I had a clear thing of what I was doing because I was doing it anyway before we closed the agency but if I'd have sat you down and said look Carlos you're going to be like an amazing coach what was that woman said yesterday about you on that uh, on my godly brilliance you've got your you've got this godly brilliance <laughs> that you're just born with and it's going to radiate through the community and you're going to be an amazing coach an amazing facilitator amazing host you're going to host podcasts you're going to like speak to people all around the world and inspire them. And if you'd have had that, you'd have been like, yeah, fuck, I'm in. But exactly. I didn't give you that. But I think that's a, this is an interesting point in this whole serendipity process is like, you could have said that to me, but whether I would have believed you is another thing. <laughs> and then there's part of this journey of just, I think you can be told stuff. Let's put it this way. And this is why I, I link it back to the work that we're doing at the moment. We can tell people, you should do this. You should do that. That's the way to do it. But unless you really believe it yourself, unless you've actually experienced some of the, the process of creating, experimenting, 
failing in inverted commas, you know, things not working out, things not feeling right, there's no, there's not necessarily a full yes happening. It's like, yeah, 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 that makes sense. That makes sense. But really, oh, I'm drawn to it. I really want to do it, which I think this is what I learned from Charlie, who's a good friend of ours, who sat us down very early on in the happy startup school days to just really understand what is clear about this. Mm-hmm. What is it that we love about this? And I think Lawrence was a, there a lot faster than I was because I was still trying to work out what makes sense rather than what feels right. And this is where I think we're getting to now with this whole idea of serendipity is like when you don't know exactly if it, if it, even if it makes sense in your head as a plan, if it doesn't make sense everywhere else, there's a good chance you're not going to push through. And following that serendipitous path, I believe is that feeling into or learning how to feel into what is the business I want to create rather than just driven by, I need to make X amount of money a year. I need to find a market opportunity that allows me to sell stuff to make that much money. And I'm just going to do that, which I think for a lot of people in our community and for us, just it didn't resonate. It wasn't a way that we could work. And I think going back to our belief, I believe our belief is, and I think what we try and teach people now is like, who do you want to work with? Who do you, I mean, it's as simple as that. Forget the product, the business model, the revenue streams. Who do you want to spend your time hanging out with? And wouldn't it be awesome if you could spend every minute of every day working with people you love spending time with and get paid to do it? Yeah. Like, what what an amazing thing. And that's, that's what we have. Every day I spend time with amazing people and I get to hang out with them. And that's the joy. And, And coupled with that, I think then, and what is your intention for them? What do you wish for them? What is it you'd love to see them do? And in a sense, I think what we'd love to see them do is get the feeling that we're trying to get from our work. You know, how can we make money, do good and be happy? And how can we other, help other people make money, do good and be happy? And how do we learn from each other by working on this together? And so I, I feel like there's a nice little opportunity here to maybe invite a couple of people. I was about to say, what a great segue. <laughs> and also, we've, we've got so many questions. Maybe we can get, maybe get Mark and Becky up um, yeah. together and then if they're still up for it, and then we can... We can explore some of these questions with them. Yay. When was the last time you felt like a kid? When you felt like you didn't have any responsibilities or obligations? When you felt free to just be? To explore? To adventure? It's probably been a long time. And if that's the case then you need to join us at our Happy Startup Summer Camp. It's a festival, a conference, a retreat, a weekend of camping, and at some level, none of these things. Because ultimately it's an opportunity to just gather and be with 150 people just like you. People who are looking to bring more joy, happiness, purpose and meaning into their lives and their work. People who want to spend time in nature having fun, learning about themselves, learning about business and connecting with inspirational everyday people who are normally hidden in plain sight. If you're looking for something new to do, something comfortably out of your comfort zone, then join us in the southeast of England from Friday the 16th to Sunday the 18th of September. To find out more and to apply to join us, visit happystartupsummer.camp That's all one word. happystartupsummer.camp See you there.
before we like maybe address some of the questions, uh, I'd suggest a quick intro from each of you just to share the work that you're doing right now and maybe a little brief reflection on this idea of serendipity and business and how that's turned up for you and how you feel about it. Becky, are you happy to kick off? Yeah, yeah. So I'm Becky Takuna. It's interesting. I realized just this week that I've started introducing what I do a bit differently and that's because of the, some of this the work with Happy Startup, I think. Um, so my, at the moment, most of my work is helping leaders to be courageous. So uh, my business is called Courage Lab. So I help uh, leaders to move towards conflict, deal with conflict healthily, build strong teams. And then the bit I'm doing less of, but I still do it is I do, I mediate well in teams where there's conflict. And then I do bits like coaching and facilitation and things like that as well. I feel like since September, I've, I've changed the rhythm of my week to, so I guess there is, interestingly, Chris's question earlier about planning. I have planned for this a bit, but there, there, I've now planned in time for serendipity because I was really missing it. I was really mm. missing having time to just say yes to meet a random person that got in touch over LinkedIn or someone in this community in Brighton, or I was missing the kind of spontaneity that comes from that, the connection, the, yeah, just the happy accidents, I guess, that with all the stuff that comes with serendipity. And so I've built it in now and I have Mondays as my serendipity day since September where I because my daughter's now, my youngest is now at school and I used to have her on Mondays. And now on Mondays, I've got a free day and I was just determined to keep that way. So I don't do any client stuff on a Friday. And I just, I basically have normally have a couple of meetings, normally ones in person in Brighton, one might be over um, Zoom. And other than that, I just see what comes or emerges on that day. It's been really, it's been amazing. And it, I'll say a bit, I'll say a bit more if you want in due course, but it, it sparks connection, opportunities for collaboration. It inspires me, it keeps me energized and it sets me up for a great week. It's amazing. Yeah. Love that. Oh. Over to you, Mark. Hello, I'm, my name's Mark. I help um, people uh, make podcasts and I am now in the middle of running my own membership community and educational space as well. Not, not unlike, well, because they're not unlike really stolen from the happy start of school. <laughs> and I think serendipity is interesting because I really like the idea of it and I believe in it, but I find it hard to make time for or find it hard to to sort of uh, let it happen i think there there were there was a time when i used to knock around with with a bunch of people that we would go to a social what was called then a social media cafe and we'd all just meet up and and have chats and things and there was a moment that led to something really sweet where me and a couple of friends got really tired of this person who'd gone around handing business cards out on behalf of their boss and we were all just this isn't really what we do here it's not like hardcore networking and so a couple of us we just got a bit peed off with it and just went to another place went to this little cafe sort of nice little cafe thing and me and uh, one, one of the people ended up meeting like regularly and helping each other and working on stuff and we sort of made that space for each other just to, to work on on a friday and and I, I guess I was trying to find ways of accelerating serendipity that way. And I feel like on the internet, it used to be easier. It used to happen a lot on places like Twitter where weird little conversations would happen. Someone would congregate around a hashtag. And before you know it, people are outside in the snow throwing snowballs. But in work, I think 
I I I see it in the rearview mirror. Like I don't necessarily see it coming, but I I can sort of identify when it has happened and go, oh wow, that was a really lovely, lucky thing that happened. Mm. Um, well, not necessarily luck because it's about putting yourself in in the path of that, in the path to be able to receive that sort of fortune or that good fortune or whatever. Yeah, I think I'm I'm kind of risk averse in some ways, but also quite happy to take risks and one of the ways that I'm not happy to take risks is just to stop and let things happen. That's the mm. thing that I find really difficult to do. And that's where serendipity comes from. And that's something I need to learn today. Mm. Thank you for bringing us on to that. Cause I think this touches on Anya's question here around, do you recognize serendipity in the moment or only in retrospect? And I'm hearing with what Mark was saying, there is a discomfort in just letting well, serendipity happen because there's a level of uncertainty there. And but Becky's you, you're saying you, you're trying to engineer or, uh, or plan as more, more intentional. Yeah. Serendipity, be intentional about it. So for you, I'm hearing like I'm trying to. I, I am in the moment to make serendipity happen. And I'm looking to recognize it as. And so when you maybe is this how do you recognize serendipity? Is it possible or is it just you only tell the story about oh that was a serendipitous moment afterwards? It's a really good question because I guess there's something about the, well, I think there is a, I guess it's connected a lot with the gut instinct stuff and some of the stuff you've been talking about, that kind of, and a feeling maybe, a more heart thing is, with me, it might be feeling a connection with somebody in the moment or an instinct that there's something here that connects us, there's the possibility that we could explore. So I think there is something in the moment, but I also know that I guess I'm getting better at trusting now that who knows where that will lead in the future and you only know maybe later this full extent of it like the first Monday that I did my serendipity Monday so in the September I met up with someone I'd been planning to meet with for about or we said we'd meet been six months or a year and or something and I'd just been um sorry Christmas took about the Enneagram and I yeah so I'd been wanting to meet her for a long time but I'd just been too busy I'd just cram I you know work a lot of tendencies I'd just cram my diary too full of delivering client work which I enjoy, but it was crowding out any spontaneity. And and so finally I got to the point where I said to this woman, let's meet. And I had a feeling that we'd get on, and, but I didn't know. And like the look of her, I like the tone in her emails and things like her, her newsletters and stuff. So I thought there's a connection here. And then we met and we just got on really well. And I could tell that we both would want to keep meeting, maybe mm-hmm. every couple of months or something. But it was only then through talking to her that... Um, it was really lovely. We realised she does work on resilience and I do a lot of work on conflict and we realised that our, a lot of our clients probably need each other as well because often I am supporting a team in conflict and part of the reason for conflict are really lacking in resilience because of the stress that they're going through as an organisation and conflict leads to low resilience as well. And then she realised that actually a lot of the teams she supports, they've got conflict that they're completely ignoring, say at a board level or something, and they need they might need mediation. So I got home, I was really inspired from talking to her. I got home and wrote a LinkedIn post about it, talking about the resilience conflict, this cycle almost, and how they're connected, and mentioning her. And, uh, and then one of my clients, one of the briefings through a Courageous Leaders Programme, got in touch with her, and she's got, I think, she's got a potential new client from that. And it was just, that was a kind of thing we wouldn't have expected. Mm. And I've got a feeling there'll be more of those. What springs up to me, so riffing off a bit off of Mark, there's this potential expectation maybe around, okay, if I spend time just being open, something good might happen, but something good might not happen. You know, there's this risk 
involved in serendipity. I'm really in that space of, of I would say, uncertainty. So while you have your serendipity day, thank you very much, Emma, Monday, whether that works or not is not guaranteed. And so what springs to mind is you're surrendering yourself to this idea of serendipity. You're not sure if it's actually going to lead to somewhere that's going to work. And also I, the phrase that sprang to mind is like having a less transactional experience with life where I do this, I expect this, as opposed to I do this and who knows? Who that's knows? exactly oh. That's stepping into the unknown, isn't it? It's that I agree. It's that mm. letting go of the need for an outcome, an immediate outcome, letting go of the need for productivity mm. all the time and for every day to be whatever, generating income or something. And knowing that, as you say, there is a risk in that. But I think there is a trust. Someone else said about Louise that there is a kind of, I think there is a trust for me in a way that it will, it'll all even out in the end, as in it's worth it. Because even if it doesn't lead to work, I've got a new friends for it or someone that's inspired them or a moment of inspiration that led to a blog post or whatever and maybe that's enough I, I would argue that if you actually captured all the learnings or connections or even opportunities that came from some of those interactions that it would probably the outcomes would actually be greater yeah. I, I, the I think that comes to mind Carlos is with altitude in particular like trust I wrote a whole post about this a few years ago but like running an event where you don't have any agenda is terrifying in terms of apart from meal times and some activities but in terms of like what's going to be taught what we're going to talk about is like complete blank state and so there's a trust in the process and there's a trust in the people that the right conversations will happen and actually if i look back at some of those events if you were to write down the outcomes they'd be much broader and deeper than if we'd have tried to just do something much more certain. So if you look at like all the things like tools that I didn't realize existed, books I didn't realize existed, like you said, people collaborating in projects, people lead each other to opportunity, you know, all of these things. If I learned this, I taught this, someone else shared this. But every time we do it, it's a leap of faith that, oh, what if this is a time where it all goes horribly wrong and no one talks about anything and everyone hates us because they didn't get the value. And I think that word trust for me, it's part of a mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you can step basically two people can step into exactly the same space. And I, we've had this altitude. One with the mindset of openness and trusting that something will happen. And one with the mindset of, I need to find the value here. When, you know, what's the thing, you know, really blinkered with their expectations of like, I come to a leadership retreat, I need to get X, Y, and Z happening, for instance, as opposed to, you don't know where it's going to lead you. But because you're so blinkered, you, you don't see the lovely things that are happening around you. And so that's what I'm hearing in terms of this idea of the, using the word trust. It isn't that suddenly the universe is going to magically bring things to you. It's just they're always there. We just don't see them. Yeah. It's it's the idea of, I think I've talked about this before, uh, a guy Merlin Mann, who you will know from Inbox Zero, but he, he has this idea of looking for the chimneys when you get, when you walk anywhere. It's looking up, it's looking at the, looking for the chimneys in, in the buildings because it's about turning your head upwards and letting the sun come in, but also it's about noticing intentionally, noticing things around you. But the, the, the only one uh, other thing that really springs to mind there is like really related to what Becky was saying is how much this, I think courage is a part of this. It's not just trust, but I think it also takes a bit of courage to allow some time where you, you are perhaps sacrificing a moment of when I need to do this, this bit of 
productivity so that I can X, Y, and Z. But having the 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 courage to sit and and ex- and and open yourself up, I think, not just trusting that the universe will will present something, but or as you're saying as well, Carlos, like trusting that it's already there, like it doesn't have to present itself. But that um, that opening up of yourself, I think, takes a, a bit of courage. Mm. I agree with that, um, not completely. And I, for me, I was also just reflecting on how it's not this kind of blind trust, is it, where you just, you think you said something earlier, Lawrence, about something around, it's not completely unfocused. So for me, there's something that what really helped me actually was doing the, doing 2020, Vision 2020 or 2020 Vision. I always forget which way. It's very We're working on that. <laughs> I know you are now. It's giving me a Anyway, doing that helped me get here on what I need. So realizing that actually I have core needs, spontaneities, they're in the collaboration, connection, inspiration, all that kind of stuff, freedom. Realizing that I also need, so I needed to create space for that. But to be able to do that, I needed to put the, con- I needed to create conditions for that. Like two things I think I needed to do. One was to have that general sense of direction and purpose and to be like the purpose playbook exercise we did on Vision 2020 really helped me. So then the opportunities we're saying yes to is still within that kind of general direction almost the go. I'm not, it's not completely like there are some people I do say no to and I've le- I'm learning that too. It's like saying yes to the right opportunities and no to the wrong ones. Really. Yeah. So there's that. I also needed to do work to get my business sustainable enough so that I could turn work down, keep my Mondays free. And I couldn't have done it a year ago, but I'm, I've got to a point now where, but I think it's all cyclical too, because I think mm. like Louise said in the chat, I think something about the right clients coming to you without even marketing that's the point i'm at now where i think there's something about when you do start maybe taking those courageous steps the the saying yes to things and having that trust that then you're doing the right work you're meeting the right people often not always but often and then the right clients start coming and then it eases things so you can there have more space for serendipity so i think for me the irony is that i'm i'm generally someone who likes to just go with the flow but now I have mm-hmm. quite a structured week. I never thought I'd say it, but I actually have a rhythm to my week, even a routine that freaks me out to say it. <laughs> but I have like different things on different days and it's removed a load of headspace of having to think, what am I doing on Monday? What am I doing on Tuesday? Because it's, there's a, yeah, and I've got an assistant, a virtual assistant now that helps me with that to keep those rhythms in place and to safeguard them. Because mm. I think it wouldn't happen otherwise. It would just get crowded yeah. out. Something you said before around things accidentally happening and, and, and there's a level of randomness there which makes me think of the word luck and I just before I'm conscious of time just wanted to touch a little bit on this idea of luck what does that mean and how we you create this idea of luck and serendipity and then uh, there's this question here also from Shamash which I'm curious about that might touch on as well some of the reasons why we work together and we're in a community around kindness and serendipity but uh, for a lot of people think there are lucky people there are unlucky people when you're talking about this idea of, of planning serendipity and this thing about seeing opportunities, would you be able to anybody have some thoughts and ideas around actually, this is how I think about luck in terms of serendipity? I wrote about this recently. I think about luck as a big garden hose and it's the, the garden hose where the waters are moving and the hose is just going everywhere and you have no idea where it's going to be at any given time. And your job is to be in as many places as possible so that you get host and that's luck is about 
I, I, yeah, I don't believe there are lucky people and unlucky people. I, I think it is about putting yourself in the path of opportunities, which I, it's, is, I guess, what serendipity is to some degree. And so, yeah, for me, it is. It's just how can I be in as many places so that that wildly moving ho- garden hose can spray me with a bit of fortune, lucky juice, lucky juice, <laughs> um, opportunity. I love that, that concept of Mark like running around under a hose, like trying to get every little bit. Popping up like whack-a-mole in lots of different places. <laughs> um, and I was kind of just thinking, could you just roll out something to catch it instead, just so you don't have to move around quite as well. But anyway, but, but I love that. But, and then i also just been trying not to laugh by chat, I'm afraid. Like, um, <laughs> like, I feel like I've, yeah. They're being very distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and how, uh, yeah, I, I do think that we can create the conditions to allow like luck to find us or to, mm. to which I guess is what serendipity is, like mm. happy accident. Maybe, but, but I also think that it's not always possible. And I guess we have to recognize mm. that if people's circumstances are going to be different and to not judge ourselves if there isn't, if it's not at this time, we can't, things are just, it's just too hard to mm. make space for it. And I think that <clears throat> self-compassionate about it there was that study wasn't there a study there was an experiment the guy ran can't remember his name something wiseman where he did a, a newspaper study where he gave two different groups of people the same job which was to count them out photographs in a newspaper and there was a big ad which said how many photographs were on in the newspaper which the lucky people saw and the unlucky people didn't see as a rule and it was really just about noticing and so for me i don't even know if we need to carve out time for some of this stuff sometimes it's just noticing the world around us and finding those random connections and collisions that other people miss. So it's maybe just more of a way of being rather than yeah. having to intentionally, as much as, as nice it would be to have a day to just focus on serendipity, just being more aware of what's going on. And even, I think Louise shared in the chat, if you're going for a walk, take your headphones off. It's simple things like that. So maybe there's qualities. You, I think you're talking about kind of qualities that we could maybe cultivate in ourselves that allow for serendipity, like, in there, there's something about optimism, I think, in what you were saying, Lawrence, maybe believing the best in people, maybe yeah. um, that hopefulness that maybe helps us to find serendipity. Yeah. I think that when it comes, for me, it comes back to this idea of mindset and presence. I think if we're not present with what's happening right now, we're going to miss what's happening right now. And so there's when we're worrying about the future, when we're worrying about the opportunity cost of doing this thing, then we're going to miss out what's happening around us. So there is... In this counterpoint to planning, where you are hitting a goal and you're working towards something, if you're so so obsessed by getting there, you forget that you're here and you forget, oh, there's that thing and there's that thing and there's this, uh, you know, all of these things. And then talking to what Becky was saying, like, then being able to say no. It was like, mm. that's amazing. Not yet. <laughs> and that, then you have, then you have abundance. You can choose what to follow rather than just, oh, I just have to stick to the plan. That's the only thing I can do. Um, conscious of time, but I, 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 I'm just drawn to this question and it's from Shamash and it's because we're the happy startup school. It's like, how can serendipity be used to spread more kindness in the world? You made me think a little bit about, when I created a bit of space, it was actually, I think it was that same first Monday that I talked about. So I had space for that meeting, but I also had space to write a bit, etc. The other thing I think I did on that same day was wrote a little piece about, on LinkedIn, about the, this guy who found my wallet at the weekend. Um, mm. And he went great lengths to 
get my cards back to me. He didn't find the wallet, so he found the cards literally strewn on the road. And he, he was a courier. He stopped on his bike, picked up all the cards in turn, and then told his employer that he couldn't do the last hour of the shift because he had to return these cards. And then he cycled up a very big hill on top of a big hill in Brighton, basically around here, although it's very hilly. And um, in the rain, driving rain to return it and then put a note through the door because I wasn't home. And I, anyway, I met him later that night, slightly trepidatious, thinking, you know, I'm going, <laughs> going to some random flat to pick up my cards from some random stranger. He was the kindest man. And um, I wrote a piece about it and it is the only time that I've ever had anything that's gone viral and it went completely viral. And there was just this sense of people, yeah, people wanting to hear kind stories, I guess, and sharing their own. And I do think it was partly about that kind of space for serendipity. There was a, it was a serendipitous connection with him and then space to tell the story. And that did kindness, I think. I was actually thinking of it the other way around. How can random acts of kindness create serendipity? Because I've found when you just do that thing that's difficult at the time, which is reach out a hand or whatever it might be at the time, create that random connection with kindness, actually, sometimes that can lead to really random serendipitous connections that, that happen. So, yeah, in some ways, stepping out of our comfort zone and yeah, reaching out to strangers feels like something good's going to come from it. Hopefully, <laughs> don't 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 uh, blame me if it doesn't. How about you, Mark? I know they're connected. I don't know how causally which way it, it runs, but I know the two are connected. I think kindness can boost the effects of serendipity and if there is kindness in a serendipitous moment then i think that amplifies things and it opens you up to other to, to being to you being noticed by other people because kindness spreads and it's infectious and mm. yeah I, I yeah i i don't know more more than that other than they are like causally connected i'm just not sure mm. which oh, go on go on go. Go for it, Lon. So say- I know, it's just a quick story about, remember Oli Kassau? He's been mm-hmm. on the fireside before. He started with Cycling Without Age. He came and spoke at our summer camp a few years ago about kindness. And he was in a, uh, he actually told this story in the talk, but he was queuing up at the hotel they were staying in and there was a bit of a job's worth behind the counter and they were trying to charge the woman in front of him £10 to use a charger for a phone. And she didn't have cash in, in English and rich money or anything. And she was just like, £10 really? And anyway, Ollie offered to pay it. And then they started talking and she was like, oh, why are you in the UK? And he's like, I'm here to do a talk about kindness. And it turned out she worked in a similar field and they ended up collaborating on a project together and came together around the shared sort of general uh, offense that the person behind the counter, but ended up working together as a result of his random act of kindness, which I thought was really powerful. Can I tell a tiny little short story? Go for it. It's partially about, I guess, I, I think kindness is a part of it, but so as a very shy person, I was at my first conference that I'd attended by myself in Warsaw and I they do lightning talks so you can apply, you can put your name down and I think you do it in the morning and then they will just go through as many at night, like after five o'clock, they will just run through the names and, and they will do as many as they can. And so the, after the first day I'd had fun, I'd talked to a few people, gone to the opening night party and that had been nice. Had a few chats with, I knew no one there. And so had a, had a few nice chats. Second day, didn't speak to a single person. Tried, couldn't make it work. And I, and I just felt a bit isolated and a bit, yeah, just painfully shy. So I made a promise to myself that night, like I was going to prepare a lightning talk. So I made one and I 
put my name down the next morning and did my talk. I got selected and, and, and gave a talk. It had to be exactly five minutes. Tried to make it funny and interesting. It wasn't, it was a technical conference, but it wasn't a technical talk. <laughs> and it like, it started with uproarious laughter because I, you know, made some sort of, I used a gif or something that, you know, and after the five minutes I, I left and suddenly started having these conversations with people and we all, and like a bunch of us just went off to, to an off license to go and get booze and fags and whatever else. And then came back and we had our own mini conference in an under an underpass where we gave our own lightning talks. And I think it finished at about five in the morning mm -hmm. and it just, it's not exactly serendipity, but again, it's opening yourself up for those moments. It's opening mm -hmm. yourself up to allow those things. And again, like taking a little bit of courage and yeah, like I will say serendipity actually, because through that I made friends and I got asked to do a formal talk the next time the conference came around and then I applied to talk the third time and got accepted to do a, like a big boy talk. And it, you know, it came from not just doing the lightning talk, but it, for the, the social stuff after that. Mm. And the fact that mm. a couple of people were like, Hey, that was a nice talk. Let's go and grab a beer. You know? Yeah. It's hard to know where these mm -hmm. things lead. And I think for me, the reason I like the idea of what resonates with me in terms of kindness and serendipity, the root for me is abundance. And Ollie's story of like, if you, if you live in a world where there's not enough money or not enough time, I'm not going to spend 10 quid to on someone else. And I'm not going to open that connection. If I don't have enough time to just risk, just spend without an expectation to just be with some other people, there's no chance for serendipity to happen. And there's no mm. chance for me to connect. And so, ah, uh, if we have, if we feel there is abundance in our lives, that we can spend time with others and have a sense of compassion with others rather than just focusing on ourselves, then that's where I think serendipity starts to thrive. And this is how I feel what we've had with our journey is by being more open to connection, by being more open to just help and, and spend time with people and not worrying about transactional aspect of it, what I'm going to get back and be open. All sorts of things happen and all mm. sorts of people you, you meet. And so I, this is the world that I would love to live in. At the same time, I would like a plan at some point. What I'm trying to get at here is like there is a benefit to this idea of serendipity, but it also requires us to think slightly different. Yeah, we've had people over the years go, look, these guys are trying to do something similar. Or they've stolen your logo or whatever. And I've, I've literally never, ever thought about what we do in that way. And it's just a completely different mindset for me about trying to keep your turf or trying to protect what you've got. And it, it's a journey, I guess, to shift away from that to something much more collaborative and open and in some ways vulnerable. Open to the happy accidents. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our Happy Entrepreneur podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud or wherever you found this podcast episode. And if you'd like to learn more about creating a new path for your work and business, path that feels more meaningful more purposeful and more aligned to who you really are then sign up to our newsletter on our website thehappystartupschool.com and you'll receive little nuggets of wisdom stories of experienced entrepreneurs following this more purposeful path and also a little bit of uh, wittering from myself and lawrence and other useful bits of information and content to keep you inspired keep you engaged and keep you happy.